Anyone? Yeah. Good to see you all. Come grab your seats. Let's get into the next part of the book of Ruth. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, just want to cast your mind back to when you were young and you went to kids' parties. It's something that happened, obviously, to me a long time ago. But when you grow up, when you have children, you suddenly get thrust back into this world of children's parties. And my kids seem to have a better social life than me. My youngest, Asher, has currently got about six party invitations stuck on the side uh, on our kitchen getting ready that he has to go to over the next few weeks and months of children in his class he's met and he gets invited to all these parties and I don't remember if it was like when you were young something that happened then that still happens now is the whole thing of the party bag who remembers the party bags at the end of the parties well these are now kind of obligatory Every child has a party. At the end, you get a party bag. Well, the, the, the child, the, the, the guy who's been invited, gets a party bag, which is, I think, very sweet, very nice, but is also a moment I dread because basically in party bags, they're full of what? Plastic toot as well. Just chat pla- I mean, they get, there's a bit of cake that's been sat on that feels like it is. It's wrapped up, very nice. And then there's usually a series of just plastic things, little water pistols, whistles. Why you give kids whistles? They don't need to make more noise, do you know what I mean? But people give them that and other stuff. And we've got this box at home that the kids call their treasure box. I call it the box of plastic tat. And it's basically got all the stuff from the accumulated party bags and the like over the years. And it's full of it. And they love to get it out and just look at it. And I just think, I want to throw it all away. But there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth if that happened. And so we've got all this, this junk. And we went to a party yesterday. And this was a different kind of party. This was my mother-in-law's party. And it was her birthday, so we travelled down uh, to where they live, and the rest of the family came, and we took the kids, and we just had a little party for her birthday. So it was very small, just a family. But my sister-in-law, Auntie Angela, turned up, and there were only four kids there. There were my two and their cousins, who were kind of the same age as my two. And we were just having some time. We had cake, and we were hanging out. Um, And then Auntie Angela turns up, and she turns up with a party bag. You should have seen the kids' faces. It was like, Auntie Angela's got party bags for you. And they were like, we're not expecting this. And they're party bags. Me was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Really? More? Just tat? Okay, fine. It's going to break. We're going to lose it in the car on the way home. I know what's going to happen. So I'm rolling through these scenarios in my head. And here's the thing. It couldn't be further from the truth. This is Asher's. I, I, I whipped his. So there's Levi got one, Asher got one. And this was, as far as I'm concerned, a pretty epic party bag. There was a bag of sweets in there, a big bag of sweets. They're not in here now. They've been eaten. But you know when you sometimes get party bags and they put in a fun-sized bag of sweets, which is nothing fun at all about it because it's about this big. And you're like, that's one mouthful. Seriously fun. She put in a proper big bag of sweets. And you're like, Epic. Fantastic. So she got their bag three. And then she got, then my boys bought out this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What? And this is Ashes. And then Levi got one was like a plain thing. And it was like, you should have seen their faces. It was like, oh, they got Lego in their bags. So they all had Lego and they're all building Lego. So we got that. Then we got a balloon, which can be fun. But this balloon lights up. I don't know if it still does, but you blow up and it lights up and it glows. And that was just like, that's not just a balloon. That's a lighting up balloon. They got glow sticks. They got plasticine. 
Like a proper good set of plastic that we're going to build stuff this afternoon when it comes to that. And so they got this party back and they all got it. It's all four of them had it. So Ash had one, Levi had one and her two kids had them. And it was just the best thing ever. And I, just, I remember looking at it and I looked at Mel and I just said, this is so over the top generous. And we said to Angela, said, this is incredible. Thank you so much. Such a gift. And the boys were like, it's amazing. And I spoke to Dan, Mel's brother. And I said, that was amazing for Angela. And he just looked at me and said, Angela has been so excited about it all week. She has just been so giddy that she can give these presents to the kids that are over the top. And I was, we were just like stunned. And I'm thinking, I love party bags. Now, I want these kind of party bags when you go to the party. So if you ever invite me to a birthday party, the standard has been set. I'm just, I'm just saying for all of you. But it was just so over-the-top generous. It was just like, wow, and the kids were bowled away, and so were we. And as we're coming to the book of Ruth and reading the next section of the story, the point behind it today is the over-top generosity and blessing that we see in the story. So that's what we're looking at. Our summer series is through the book of Ruth. If you missed it, you can catch up online. We've had a couple of uh, sermons so far. This is the third one. If you haven't read the story of Ruth, I encourage you to do that. It's only four chapters long. It's very short. You can read the story, catch up very quick, an idea of what's going on. It's a great story, um, a love story between a guy named Boaz, a young lady named Ruth, and them getting together, and the other characters, the mother-in-law, Naomi, who's part of it, and it's God's hand on them and how he restores them. But it's not just about that story. It's about a divine love story of God's love for his people and his filling, uh, kind of his following in the line of Christ, because all the books are ultimately about Jesus and about how the line of Jesus is kept going. So one day, many hundred years down, this baby will be born who will be the saviour of the world, Jesus Christ. And we saw in the first sermon series the tragedy that came into the life of Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth and how tragedy that was, yet we saw the hand of God working in there. Last week we saw the man entered the, 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 kind of the story, the main man, and that was Boaz, and he's going to play a key part in the story as we go on. And we saw how Boaz showed love and grace to, to Ruth, uh, reflecting the heart of God towards the outcast. She's a foreigner, she's poor, she's on the outside of kind of the society, but he showed her mercy and grace and drew her in. So we're going to look at the next part of um, the story. So if you've got a Bible, go to Ruth chapter 2. I think it's verse 14. Yeah, we're going to be starting out. If you haven't got a Bible, I'm going to put it up there and I'm going to read it to you. So here's the next part of the story. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her to leave it, for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an effer of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food had been left over after being satisfied. You put the next one up for me. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took a notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. 
And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all, the, all my harvest. And Naomi said to her, said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. At least in another field you'd be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, four things we want to quick look at today out of this story. We've got um, the elevation, elevated status, the response, the revelation, the provision. First thing, Boaz met Ruth last week. He came on the scene. He noticed her. Uh, she was gleaning in the fields. What was gleaning? Gleaning was a provision by the Old Testament law that the poor could come to any field that was owned and had harvest in it, and they had to leave the corners of the field. So the corner of the field, they couldn't cut the grain. They just couldn't cut it, and that was left for the poor to come and harvest for themselves, get their own stuff, so they would have food to eat. And anything that was dropped by the harvesters, they were told to leave on the floor. They couldn't pick it up. And so she could, um, cut, the poor could come and get that. Ruth, being in that category, had gone out into the field, just so happened to come one with this man, Boaz. We looked at Arthur, and so she's been gleaning in the field. And it says it comes to mealtime. Now, mealtime would have been the noonday meal, where the workers have stopped. Ruth had been working hard all morning. And it says here, Boaz says, come, come and eat with us. Now, Ruth being a foreigner, a Moabite, not part of God's people outside that, so she might have kept her distance. I don't want to go in there because the Moabites were hated. They, weren't, they worshipped false gods, foreign gods. They did some pretty unspeakable practices, and so they wouldn't have associated. So she would have probably kept her distance respectfully because of her nature of being poor. She probably didn't have anything to eat. She, she was collecting the food so she could eat. She'd have to go and beat it and, and make something out of it. So she didn't have anything. So Boaz invites her in to eat with them. And eating in this culture was huge. It was a sign of hospitality. It was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of acceptance. It's why we build into our kind of um, structure as a church. We eat together every week in our life groups. That's what you do. You eat together because it's a great sign of hospitality. Me and the leaders we're meeting tonight, we're going to start with food. We're going to eat together. It's what we do. We're going to eat together after the service. You brought your picnics? Okay, that was pretty lame. I'm just saying... But we're going to have a picnic together after. Hopefully the weather's looking better. We might go to get outside. But we're just going to eat together. Just hospitality, friendship, get to know each other. And Boaz says to her, come in. This was a huge kind of social thing that he did. He said, you join us, foreigner, outcast, poor woman. You come and be a part of us. So he basically says, so there's a, there's a kind of an acceptance there offered to Ruth. Not only was she allowed to come in and eat, he basically says to her, you can eat some of the food that I've prepared for my workers. So you're not one of my crew, but actually come and eat my food. So he's offering her the food. And he says, you can use the wine. to they, The bread would have been hard and dry, so you dip it in the wine to moisten the bread before you eat it. You can have access to that. It even says he served her. Who was Boaz? He was the boss. He was in charge of the field. He was in charge of the reapers. They were his men working and his women working in the fields. He was the guy, yet the... The girl comes in, the poor outcast, the foreign girl, and he is serving her food. He's saying, this is my food. You're not only you can come and eat with me, but I'm actually going to serve you. Wow, this is the guy in charge getting down, and he's serving her. And he said he passed her, and not only that, he gave her so much food, she couldn't eat it all. It says she ate till she was satisfied, she had enough, but what was there? It was leftover. 
Boaz has taken her from all the way over there, the outcast, and brought her right into what he's doing and elevated her status among the, the others there and saying she is worthy of respect and worthy of honor. I'm going to serve her. I'm going to give her food. She's got plenty to eat and she has been satisfied. He shows great compassion and generosity and mercy towards this young lady. We looked last week at the Hebrew word hesed, which comes up multiple times um, in this story. And the hesed is a, a word that we can't translate very well into English because it means so many things. It's got a broad meaning. And we often translate it loving kindness. But it, it's the attributes of God, his patience, his mercy, his grace, his love, his compassion. is all summed up in this word. And here, Boaz is showing that in abundance towards this young lady, saying, hey, I'm going to show the love and grace and mercy of God. Because this word is usually ascribed to God for his character, but often it is ascribed to people who reflect God's character. And show it to other people, which is what, exactly what um, Boaz is doing. And it's all the more startling. This woman is a stranger. She was only new to the town where they lived, to Bethlehem. And that's what he was doing. And then he, Boaz, what do you do? He instructs his men regarding her. Let her glean in this field. This time, the period of Israel's history, it was a pretty dark time. Lawless. People were forsaking God. It wasn't a safe time. For, for, for the people, um, because there was just people, it basically says at the end of Judges, everyone was doing what they wanted. There was no kind of rule, there was no authority. Dangerous time. So he basically says, you come to my field and my workers will look after you. They won't, they won't harass you. There's going to be no kind of snidey comments because you're a foreigner. Who's a foreign woman? You know, what's she doing here? Why is she coming around? You know, none of that. They're going to look after you. They're going to be safe. And he also says, he says actually, that um, when you're gleaning... He says to his workers, not only do you let her pick the stuff off up the floor, pull the stuff out of the bundles and throw it on the floor so she can collect it. So not only does she can go to the corners of the field, as they're reaping and they round up the bundles and leave the bundles of the grain, he says, you pull some out and you put it on the floor so he is going to provide for her. He's going to make sure she's going to have plenty of food to be able to eat and provide for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. So he offers his protection and his provision onto this young woman. What's the response of Ruth in this? Look at verse 17. How does she respond? It says, she gleaned in the field until evening. So she went at it. She carried on working hard. In response to this provision, she didn't just take it for granted. She worked hard. She carried on working all day. She'd been working since morning, probably been back-breaking work, kind of picking up the harvest, doing it all. So she did that. Then having collected it till evening, probably getting dark, she beat it out. Another physically demanding job. And it's about an effort of barley. What on earth is an effort? Sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? But an effort, it's a lot. They reckon, there's a bit of dispute, but it's probably about 22 litres, five gallons of flour. That's a lot. That's a lot of flour. And then she then, it would have weighed a lot as well. And then she, what did she do? She carried it home. They reckon it's probably about a few weeks worth of work, kind of, of wages would have bought that. And she's done it all in a day. And then she has to carry that home. That must have been an effort, carrying that weight of that home. She carried it home. And plus, she goes home. She goes, here's all the barley, I'm sorry, all the, the flour I've beat out. Plus, I've got leftover lunch for you. Because there was all the stuff that was left over that she gives to her mother-in-law, Naomi. So her response is to work hard to go after it. And then as she goes home and shows this to kind of her mother-in-law, who, bear in mind, hasn't seen her since the beginning of chapter 2, which is the beginning of last week. She doesn't know what's happened. The young woman's gone out into the field. Is she going to be okay? Is she going to be kind of victimized or rejected or worse? You know, something bad could happen out there. And so the mum is saying, what's going on? How did this happen? 
And not surprisingly, her response in what Ruth comes back with wasn't expecting that. And she bursts into praise and she says, there's someone who took notice of you. Someone who, who saw you. Someone who showed favor and compassion and grace upon you. And then what does Ruth do? Ruth identifies his man, gives him a name. His name is Boaz. And Naomi bursts into praise and said, blessed be this man. May he be blessed. And if you look at verse 20, what's the word in there? Who was shown what? Kindness. That's that word, said. He has demonstrated the attributes of God towards you. His love, his mercy, his grace, his compassion. And he's shown that towards you. And she, she praises God for him and wants blessing on him. And she uses strange, strange. He's not forgotten the living and the dead. What's that a reference to? Well, the living would be Naomi and Ruth. The dead would be the dead husbands. Right, Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. And Ruth's dead husband as well, actually. The, the family line has not been forsaken in it, and God has provided for them. So she is overwhelmed. And then she makes this interesting statement, which will have huge ramifications as we go on. He said, he's a, one of our redeemers. What on earth does that mean? Boaz is one of these redeemers. And bearing in mind it was set up right at the beginning of chapter 2, that he was his kind of close relative, and Ruth just happened to be in that field. We looked at that last week, the providence of God. What's she doing in that field? Well, she happened to come to Boaz's field. Boaz runs this field. What's all that about? Well, Boaz is one of their redeemers, and what's that mean? Well, the, the custom at the time, based on Deuteronomy 25, about the Levite marriage was that if um, a couple got married and remained childless and the husband died, this sounds familiar, then someone else was to marry the widow to continue the family line. That was the custom. So the family line would not be wiped out. It all, all wrapped up in inheritance of the land and, and keeping the line going, which is what this kind of story is about. We call it love line for that reason. There's a line that's going that will one day come to Jesus. We know if we think about Ruth's situation, think about Naomi's situation, what's happened? The husbands have died. For Ruth, there's been no children, that the family line is over. It's why um, Naomi changed her name to Mara at the end of chapter 1, because it was bitter. I went away full, I'm now empty. It feels like God has taken everything from me. But there's this man who's come on the scene who can change that, who can redeem the situation, who can turn it around, who can continue the line, which is what it was all about in kind of that time, the history of the people. And so we have that revelation, and there's no more of it done right now, but as we get to chapter 3, chapter 4, that's going to become huge. And the last thing is the ongoing provision provided. Ruth doesn't seem to see the significance because she just goes on and starts talking about what Boaz has done. Basically relays that Boaz says, you can stay close with my, my men until I finish the harvest. What Boaz does for her is provides for her future. He basically says, you can stay with my people throughout the rest of the harvest. That's about six to seven weeks the barley harvest followed by the wheat harvest. You can do that. And effectively in that time, you can get enough food, get enough that will last you kind of the rest of the year. So you can get enough to provide for her. So she's, he's basically removing her from poverty. He's like, I'm providing the food you need. If you come to my field, stay in my field, stay with my workers. I've instructed them to look after you, look out for you, provide for you. You can get the food. You can make the, um, the grain, collect the grain, beat it out the flower, etc. You are provided. So Boaz has provided. And so the mother-in-law is like, wow. And she says, you stay close to the provision that God has provided in making this all happen. All right. 
That's the story so far. We'll come back to some of that stuff next week um, and following it and finish it off. But there's a couple of points of application I want to draw out for us and then we're going to worship Jesus together. The first one, Jesus is a better Boaz. Jesus is a better Boaz. The 19th century preacher described Jesus as our great Boaz. What's that about? Boaz showed mercy and grace and compassion on Ruth in a way that cost him. It cost him time, it cost him energy, it would have cost him financially money. He was giving his food away and giving his harvest away. He was taking some of his harvest and pushing it on to Ruth and Naomi. He did something. He showed grace and mercy to a poor foreign woman. There's three strikes in that culture. Not good. Yet he, he extended compassion. He extended grace to them and said, come in. I will look after you. I will make, make you acceptable to what's going on. I have the influence and the authority to do that. What about Jesus? Jesus showed love and mercy to us while we were sinners. The Bible says very clearly that we've all fallen short of God's glory. We all know this. We can't even keep our own standards, let alone God's standards. We know how imperfect we are. We know how far we fall short. We know how, how much, in our, even in our actions, in our thought lives, how more offensive that would be if, we ever actually, if everyone actually knew what went through our mind, what went through our heart. They'd be shocked at some of the horrible things we can say and do. The Bible just describes us simply as sinners. We were rebels. We were offenses to God. Because God's standard is perfection, he is holy, he is righteous. But Jesus says, you're not going to stay like that. I'm going to sort that out. I'm going to come. I'm going to come and I'm going to be born as a child on earth. In which town, by the way? Bethlehem. Interesting that. Born as a child, grow up to be a man, live a perfect life. Communicate the kingdom of God. Then when it comes to the end, when the people turn against him, he dies the death that we should have died in our place for our sins. What did it cost Jesus? Everything. Left up the glory of heaven to come down and live on earth in a backwater country, live poor, outcast. His parentage was questioned. And he dies in our place for our sins. If we were going to sum that up, what word would we use? Probably the word has said. The loving kindness of God towards us as sinners. And in return, what have we received? The Bible says if you're a believer, it says you are righteous and holy. You are a saint. It says you've been forgiven. All the things you've done, you've been justified, which is not guilty before a completely holy God. Imagine standing for the judge and just not guilty, acquitted, free. We've been brought into a family. We've been adopted as children. He is now our Father in heaven. We're not children. We're not on the outside. We've been drawn right in. We're his kids. We can go to him, talk to him. We've received the Holy Spirit. We are filled with God's presence. Wherever we go, we'll never be alone because he is with us. No matter what we're facing, we're part of God's people, the church. That is wonderful news. We can come to God any time in prayer and talk to him. We have God's word which guides our lives, teaches us, which changes us bit by bit into his image as we learn, as we study, as we obey it. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We have grace and strength for each day. No matter what comes this day, I can face by the grace of God because he is with me and he will never leave me. We have a hope that cannot be taken from us and a future that is utterly secure in him. Wow, Jesus is better than Boaz, right? 
Isn't he just? And for us as believers here today, I think it's one of those, things, those moments we say, do you comprehend the enormity of what God has done for you? If we take a moment to actually say, man, it really is a happy day. We sing the songs. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah this one again, I like this one. No, it's a happy day. He has taken our sin away. He has raised us up. He has brought us in. This is beautiful. If you're not a believer here, this is an offer to you. If you don't know Jesus, we can sort that out today. We can introduce you. We can get rid of the things in your life which cause those problems. We can offer you forgiveness and salvation and hope and a future and a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is a beautiful thing. The second one. How do we respond? How do we respond? Well, there's a couple of ways if you look at that passage. How did they respond? Well, how did Naomi respond? She responded in worship. She found out. Ruth came back unexpectedly with all this gear. Imagine, if you put it in our terms, she probably came back with like shopping trolleys full from Tesco. She'd gone out effectively kind of to beg for food and then comes back pushing shopping trolleys. Wow, that is amazing. And her response is to bless this person, to praise God, to lift his name up high and say, this is awesome. And as the people of God, that's what we should be doing. That's our calling, to worship him, to raise his name up, to love him. That's why we always start our meetings that way. Let's put Jesus in his rightful place. Let's remind ourselves who's king, who's Lord, who's ruling over everything. It's what we're going to come back to at the end. We should have a lifestyle of worship and praising God. It's not just something we do on a Sunday. It's something we try and carry through our lives. Singing songs of worship, living lives of worship. Eyes of honor him. This Tuesday, we're going to meet to pray and worship. Come and join us and just express our love and grace. Thank uh, gratitude for God for all he's done for us. So there's that kind of dynamic. What's the other thing? Interesting. If you look at verse 17 and verse 23, what does Ruth do in response? That's not a trick question, guys. She does something. She gets active, doesn't she? In response to this wonderful thing that has happened, Boaz has raised her up, accepted her in. Does she sit back on her laurels? I'm accepted. This is great. I can just sit here now reclining at table. No, she gets active. She gets out of her. Her new status being brought in motivates her to work. To get active, she gets out in the field. What a great opportunity. I can now get out and I can, I, can get, I can get so much to provide for me and for Naomi that will just carry us through. She's out there day after day after day throughout the entire harvest. Back-breaking women. She says, I'm going to work. I'm going to make sure that what's been given to me is somehow carried out and it doesn't just, it doesn't just remain as nice platitudes. It's actually something I'm going to do. What does James say? Faith without works is dead actually our our salvation what God does in it actually causes us to be active it's not how we earn our status if I do this God will love me if I do this I'll be accepted if I do this God will forgive me no we've already been where was I you know so here's a challenge for us today here's something to think about if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've, this has happened to you, I want to ask you a couple of questions. If we've been saved and, and God has got us and actually there's a kind of an outwardness of it, let me ask you two questions. First one, where are your fields? 
Think about your life. Where are your fields? Where do you work? Where do you go? Where do you do? Where do you, you spend your time? Where are the fields that you can actually be active in? Where has God placed you in life? Where are those places? And the second one then is, who are your Ruths? Because Boaz went to his field and he looked out. There is workers. Who's that? That's Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, the weird-looking one, the one who talks funny, the one from over there who worships those funny gods and from that odd place. You don't want, you know, don't want her involved. And what is his response? Let's bring her in. Let's bring her in. Let's show her love and grace and mercy. Let's bring her in. So my questions to us today is, where are your fields and who are your Ruths? Where you go out this week, where you go out to work and to play and, and with your kids and doing whatever you're doing, where are, the, where are your opportunities to show the love and grace of God like Boaz did? Because that's our job, isn't it? We worship the Lord and then we're reflected out. We don't live in a holy bubble in here, do we? We go out into the world and we're meant to be salt and light and serve and love those people out there. And one of the ways we worship is by demonstrating that. We sing and we play and that's great. But then we go out there and we put it in some action. And so what I want you to think about this week is who are my roots? Who are the outcasts? Who are the people on the edge? Who are the people who other people look down their nose at? Who are the one ones who need to be brought in to what I'm doing? How can I speak words of encouragement and grace and love? What can I do to serve them? Who's the mummy standing on the edge who no one talks to on the playground? Who's just kind of there? But it's got to be there because you've got to pick the kid up. How do we, what do I do with that? Do we just ignore it or do I try and draw her in? What about, what about your people at work? The new guy, the new girl who's turned up at work, doesn't know where anything is, doesn't know how, it, how the system works, doesn't know the in-jokes. Doesn't, doesn't work that way. What about the neighbors, people around you? How do I show and love to them? How do I demonstrate that? How do I help bring them in? How do I help raise their status? And what can I do to love and serve them? So I'm just going to give you a minute. Have you got a pen? Or a phone. Just take a moment. Jot it down. Where are my fields? My workplace. Name it. The office or whatever it is. These are my fields. My home. Uh, my neighbours. My social club I go to. Whatever. People I, I hang out with. And then just write the question, who are my roots? God might even drop people in right now. You think, I know who it is. It's Joe Bloggs. It's a dude who sits over there, the lady who stands over there. How am I going to show the love and grace of God to them? We're going to kind of finish there, wrap up. So maybe you want to stand and the band come back up. And I'm just going to pray for us. Seriously, stand up. Did we just lose the moment there? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like being at home. Um, 
All right, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, Lord God, we want to thank you that you are a better Boaz. Lord, that what we see in microcosm in that story, how one man showed grace and love to this one lady and her mother-in-law, Lord, you showed to us a million times over. And not just to us, but to all your people all over the world and all through the ages. And you will continue to do it in the years ahead and into eternity. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. Lord God, we love you. We worship you and we say, God, would you put that in us to serve others? That we wouldn't be a people who your love and grace just terminate on and that's the end of it. But actually, as we go out into our homes, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our you know, social circles and settings where we just find ourselves, even just the, you know, the stranger we meet on the bus and the, the person in town, we just, God, would you give us a people who demonstrate your love and kindness there? Lord, we ask you to give us eyes to see the Ruths around us, those people who are on the edge, people who are kind of outcasts, the people who are just different maybe to us for whatever reason it is they look different, they talk different they dress different, they're new and they're just not familiar with what's going on God we ask you give us grace to love them, minister them draw them in, Lord use us to be influential for your kingdom in those places, if you know that's something you want, ask God for it now specifically, and say God use me to be like that to others, to just show your love and kindness to others wherever I go over the next sort of seven days until we're back together again. Lord God, we want to say we love you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.